up, beautiful people? It is your girl, Amber Jones, and we are back for another episode of The Revival, Faith, Justice, and Culture for the Now Generation. We are in our second week of the Revive the Vote series, and I'm just living for the amount of engagement that we've been gaining on our social media um, as we dropped our first episode with Ron Harris. Like, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Ron. You... Um, just brought so much life uh, to our platform. And it's just keeping on coming, y'all. It just keeps on coming. I am so excited for today's episode. My goodness, you are about to be blessed. When I tell you, like, bless, bless, like, you're about to be blessed by this conversation I had with today's guest. Today, we have Mr. Brian Fullman on the podcast. He is the lead organizer for the Barbershops and Black Congregations Cooperative at Isaiah, which is the largest progressive faith-based organizing coalition in the state. Like, this man is not for the games, okay? He is making big moves. He is working with our people. He is doing some great work in the faith-based organizing space. And our conversation, oh my gosh, y'all are, I just... You just got to listen to it, okay? You just have to listen to it. It is going to blow your mind. Um, this is the type of conversation you need if you want to be inspired, if you want to be challenged, if you want to really step into the space with your heart wide open, your faith right out in front of you when it comes to this justice work. And so I am so excited to introduce you all to Mr. Brian Fullman, who is here on our podcast today. Check out this conversation with Brian. to continue the series on midterm election season and my next guest on the revivals podcast is Mr. Brian Fullman. Uh, so Brian Fullman is doing some really great work here in the state of Minnesota. He is the lead organizer for the Barbershop and Black Congregations Cooperative at Isaiah. And Isaiah is a multiracial statewide nonpartisan coalition of faith communities fighting for racial and economic justice in Minnesota. So everything that we're about, <laughs> he's right in the midst of it. And so we are really excited to have this conversation with him talking about the power of the Black vote, as well as the power of voting in our faith communities. So welcome, Brian, to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am so appreciative of being in this space with you, and I look forward to us having a powerful conversation. Thank you so much for being here. So as we get started, I, I know people might be asking like, what is a lead organizer for barbershops and black congregations? Like, what is that about? What are you doing? How did you get here into this work? Um, so can you just share a little bit about your journey, particularly in organizing and how you even got to your role at Isaiah? Yes. So uh, my journey started, so there's a Long version, but I think what I would like to do is like what sparked, uh, what actually sparked my curiosity and desire to have public life mm -hmm. and to be able to voice myself and my pains and frustrations I felt for years in this country, in my neighborhood, in Chicago, mm -hmm. in Minnesota, mm -hmm. 
uh, it actually came from my faith. So there was a gentleman by the name of, we call affectionately Pastor Paul, his name is Paul Slack. Yes. He was the, uh, he was the president of the board of Isaiah mm-hmm. uh, when I was his barber. So mm-hmm. I used to cut his children's hair, uh, Paul and Caleb, when they were little boys. And then when his barber, which was one of my best friends named mm-hmm. Vale, when he left the barbershop, then I inherited Pastor Paul like I did a few of Bell clients. And mm-hmm. I was honored because Pastor Paul was very consistent and him and his kids getting their hair cut. Mm-hmm. And then we started developing a relationship with me just cutting him and his kids' hair every day. I mean, not every day, but at least once <laughs> a week, once every two weeks. Yeah. And uh, I started to fall on like hard times just with my family, my kids. They were two of my kids were becoming uh, preteens and I started having real trouble out of our youngest. Uh, I had some issues with my wife at the time and he noticed that I just, it was, I wasn't my bubbly self at, yeah. at, 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 at work. And he asked me like, what's going on with you? And I said, it's a lot. And uh, I just feel like, I just have this eerie feeling like if I don't get things together, I'm go, something's go bad, it's going to happen. He said, mm-hmm. every time you talk, you have a beautiful personality. You, you light up the room when you talk to folks, but I never hear you give credit to God for anything. Hmm. And I just, that stuck with me. And we got to talking. And I talked to him about the fact that my parents, I love my parents. My, my mom is still living. My father died when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Beautiful people, but just was not, uh, they didn't press faith in the house as much. You know, right. you prayed over your food, but I, I can only remember being inside of a church with my parents when there was a funeral happening. Right. Uh, so I explained all this to my, uh, he, he's my he, was, he wasn't my pastor then, but I would explain these things to him. And then I would talk to him about my hardships and what we were struggling with mm. uh, as a family. And my, my house was just, it was just in shambles. I mean, we and the, the, you know, the, the thing that was, the thing that kept us in isolation was that the fact that we had a brand new home, I had a nice vehicle, and I always presented myself publicly like I didn't need help. And so he would come out to my house and uh, explain the, the book to me, the Bible to me. And I always credit Pastor Paul for being the person who officially introduced me to God. Wow. And from that, I was just, as you, as you know, uh, as you build a relationship with God, things start to change in your household. And, 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 yes. and I was just so excited about that. I just publicly professed that to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, God is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and coming from where I come from and what I've been through, it was always like, is God really real? Is God not? Mm-hmm. And I, has, I was like, God is real. And then I was able to understand how much God has been protecting me. Yes. Uh, when I was not... Uh, fully accepting and embracing the presence and the power of God. So I went straight into his church mm-hmm. and I was fired up about God. <laughs> and I started through workshops uh, that he would do. Uh, Joy Marsh is a, was yes. my church sister who would do workshops in the creation church. I started to understand more about what my gifts and my talents were. And it started becoming very clear what my calling was. Mm-hmm. And so He's the one that introduced me to Isaiah. And I started leading in Isaiah as a volunteer out of my church. So when mm-hmm. I would come from the barbershop, 
all I could think about was going to the next training, learning how I could lead in my mm -hmm. community. When is the next meeting? And I did that for almost three years until I actually got hired on as staff. So mm -hmm. it was really through my development as a man and understanding what God's mm -hmm. desire for me was. Uh, and then from there, having this strong desire now to live out the calling and, and, and the reason why God even had me here. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's how I became uh, an organizer. Uh, mm -hmm. And as a lead organizer, my job is to invest and create the conditions for organizers to thrive and build base and build power, uh, making sure and modeling what our culture is inside of Isaiah and Faith in Minnesota, which is our C4. I always say Isaiah and Faith in Minnesota because right. Faith in Minnesota is the C4 sister organization of Isaiah. Mm -hmm. uh, and to uh, manage and master the art of execution when it comes to program. Mm -hmm. uh, and just being there for those organizers and still building base. So I'm a lead organizer who does supervise some organizers. I invest in their leadership, but at the same time, I still connect to base and build base too. Right. So yes. So that's, that's, you know, that's the overview of what a lead organizer is. Yes. Thank you so much for that journey that I was like scribbling notes because I'm like, there's so many important through lines that you highlight just talking about your testimony, your journey to your role. First of all, we got to give our flowers to Pastor Paul Slack, just an amazing man of God, um, pastor, yeah. organizer, advocate. Um, I was able to work with him a lot in my early organizing days when I was working as an organizer at Knock. So have oh, you, to- Oh, you worked yes, at Knock? Yes, I worked at Knock oh, back you know, in the day. I think you told me that, but I forgot. Okay. <laughs> So you know he's he's that is the amazing he is the person that poured into me yeah yes and yeah. just even and I, I feel like you might talk about this a little bit more as you talk about um bbcc but just to hear how through the fellowship and the friendship of um pa pastor paul slag not necessarily coming to to thump you in the head with a bible but just trying to just be a good friend to you and a good client to you that you were evangelized to and you didn't even fully know it at the time and so God just started to work and um a friend uh this week recently uh, we had lunch he he told me like we've been doing evangelism all wrong the best way to evangelize is through friendship and so I just was like oh my gosh I'm hearing that that message more and more that just how can we just be friend, good friends to people wherever we can be? Not even, well, probably, you know, praying and knowing how the Lord can intervene, but um, to not make it always a big show, just to be a good friend, you know, and to ha be ha and having genuine fellowship. So that was just an amazing thing to hear. And I'm, I'm sure, and so much of the barbershop culture is fellowship, you know? And, and genuine friendship and, and a place for men in particular, mostly to really be able to bond and create space for one another. Yeah. Um, and, and if you want to chime in on that, at all, I got other yeah, things. Yeah, so, like, yeah, so there's, like, wow. a, there's a few things. You know, <laughs> I think it's critically important to come as a friend mm -hmm. when you're introducing faith mm -hmm. to people who've been severely oppressed. Yes. And I was one of those in my community and which made me very skeptical of church folks because I always, well, part of that was insecurities that I always thought church folks were better than me. The mm -hmm. other part of that is, and I thought they were perfect. The other part of that is, is 
church folks sometimes would engage me in that way to almost validate these irrational feelings and thoughts I had about them. So mm-hmm. if you would have came Bible thumping, I would have actually looked at that in a very demeaning way and it would have been a turnoff for me. Right. Pastor Paul came out here and read the Bible and sometimes Miss D, I call her Miss D, our, our first lady, uh, his <laughs> wife, Deidre, she's called before like, are you coming to eat dinner? Because he would be out here with me and my wife and my family to like late nights and never asked me to come to his church. Never act because I used to catch like, what are you, what are you trying to get me to come? What are you trying to do? Because I always because mm-hmm. I didn't have too many men who were a little older than me, investing in me without wanting something, and mm-hmm. so I would always look for what was to catch, and then I just, I just fell in love with my public relationship with him, and I wanted to not only profess to the world what he had offered me and invited me to, but I felt a sense of loyalty, and I still do. Uh, to Pastor Paul. Uh, And so I became like, I wanted to be there with him and represent who he was. The other part of that is in the barbershops, everything you just said is 100% correct. But one Mm -hmm. of the things I started noticing as I started receiving training as an organizer, in the barbershops, in the 18 years I cut hair in the barbershops, it would be where most disenfranchised community members, black and brown Mm -hmm. folks, it's where they actually play out what we call alter egos, but it's actually where they get to actually imagine what's possible for them. And that's yeah. So people would come in acting like they sports analysts. You have your politicians coming in there. You have <laughs> the lawyers coming in there. Half of us didn't know half of what we was talking about, but, <laughs> but the audacity and the willingness to step out and say, this is what I feel about this. This is my opinion on this. I seen in the beauty shops, barbershops, small businesses, period, that this is where our folks feel they're most powerful at. So how yes. can we use this platform to create protagonists in the community? Mm. So that was that's where that sparked from. Because I would see people come and, well, they have a whole lot to say, but I would also wow. see when they leave the barbershop, how the expressions on their faces change, how they know now they're going back out into a world that doesn't fully embrace them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the power, that the real power of the barbershop and which actually led me to start organizing barbershops. Mm-hmm. That is, wow. That's like, that's masterful. Like you could probably write a dissertation on that. <laughs> yeah, Just I'm, the idea of like, how are we building power in spaces where people are evoking the, some of the most powerful elements of themselves from the inside out? How can we tap in that, in, in that, in that quick moment, you know, in that hour to, you know, in the chair, Right. Having conversation, connecting with community. That is powerful. Um, another through line that I really heard was um, how, you know, you were introduced to the faith in a particular way. You were discipled into that faith and how that discipleship led to your call and how that call led you into this work of organizing um, and working in the justice space. And I think that is really that that kind of arc is really important I think to call out um, especially as we continue to really talk about how God really does have a heart for justice has always had a heart for justice and how being disciple in the faith can lead folks into that if you want to just share and touch a little bit more on that yeah um, I, I, I think there's always been positioned vanguards of our community who were called mm-hmm. by God um, yeah. I intentionally called Dr. Martin Reverend 
Uh, but I do that intentionally. I want people to understand what sparked his interest in the first place to be able to come out and be in vanguard for the community. And it was his faith. It wasn't a doctrine. And mm -hmm. so I say that to say that if it wasn't for those kind of sheroes and heroes, I, I'm not here. I'm, I'm not, I don't have the avenue to now live out what I firmly believe is my own calling. Mm -hmm. Any way that you can assist a support or help create the conditions to restore one's dignity and respect is the desire of God. Why? Because it's what God has done for me continuously through my life. I've made a gazillion mistakes and I've done it even when God was talking to me, I would ignore it. And I've done things that I have brought harm on myself and God protected me and didn't judge me and didn't beat me down and didn't shame me or finger wag at me so when i started really understanding how protected i've been and how special i am to god then now all i want to do i feel like i'm in debt i feel like well, well then what what is it you want from me now what do i need to go do right because i never look at it's even hard for me and but i've been learning more about and growing in this is to continue asking for blessings when i have a documented record of all the blessings that God has already done for me. So when you talk about publicly, so many of our people are in isolation. They're ashamed about who they are and the mistakes they're made. They told this. They don't identify systemic oppression. So everything that has happened in their life and all the conditions, they blame themselves for. Mm -hmm. They don't think anything that comes out their mouth has worth to it. Mm -hmm. They don't feel like they, they don't value themselves or value the people around them. And so the enemy is tap dancing over there. It is my duty and my responsibility to invite them to light. And so one of the things I always talk about with organizers is that we lighthouses. When people are swimming in the sea and they lost, desperate to find some kind of direction, it's actually us who can give them that publicly. Right. A lot of what happens to us systemically is through the political arena. And if we don't have people that are in place actually being vanguards for our justice and calling on justice, then our people will continue to live slow deaths. Mm. And so God has to be present. Mm. You look at the walk of Jesus. Jesus went to the rabbis. He let, he let it be known who he was. So yes, he invested in people that were around him, his neighbors, he called, he organized, but then he went to leverage those relationships and give his testimony to the people who were in power. Right. And that was intentional mm -hmm. because they need to know who God's face looks like too. We're nothing but testimonies and showing God's face to the folks who think they're God. That's, That's what we're doing. And it's really just that simple. Yeah. Wow. That's. I'm gonna just let that marinate. We're gonna we're gonna switch gears. I'm gonna let it marinate. <laughs> I'm gonna let people sit on that because there's just there's so much there. But being able to show people in power who the real power is. That's right. And I think there's some. I thought I was gonna let it marinate. I'm not. <laughs> but I think you know with experiences that you have had, and then even some of my own previous um, experiences, both in organizing and also in government, there's something very, I think something just switches in your mind when you see that the perceived power 
when you see it up close, you recognize this is not the real power. And how knowing, like if you are tapped into the real power, how much you feel much more powerful um, and centered in what you know you're called to do. And I think particularly in the political space, we, we have to continue to do the work to show people who the real power is, how you are in relationship to that, and how those two entities can overcome <laughs> who what the perceived power is in yes. our society. Yes, and it, it may not happen overnight. And trust me, there's a lot of doubt that I have sometimes and I feel overwhelmed Absolutely. and I'm weary. But the power of God always keeps you clear and focused about what you are planning to go do. So there's a level of resilience and tenacity that God's people have that stands in them. Because the people who actually want to keep us in fear and divide us and have us at each other's throats so they can prosper economically, they know that stuff is temporary. Mm-hmm. This life is temporary. Mm-hmm. But because we are clear about who God is, it gives us a level of visceral clarity that they don't share with us. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be all right regardless of the outcome. And mm-hmm. my job, if you look at it, it's a busy, it's a busy job. But it's actually quite easy. God has already given us the power. We just have to go build it. And that's yes. through relationships. Yes. I don't have to go, you know, it's just through the people that surround me that I build relationships with. And I know that's God's desire. So when I'm standing in the public and political arena and I'm professing that God has given me the strength and people who know my past and know who I am, you can't explain me away. If you knew everything that I've been through as a kid, going to the penitentiary early in my life, having a my formal education, this is going to change though, but my formal education right now is a GED from the penitentiary. You can't explain me away. You have to give credit to God every time you see me and hear me mm-hmm. because there's no logical reason why I would be in a position I am considering my history. Mm-hmm. So it's my duty to show that. And when you show that, that's just pure power in its own self and it cannot be denied. That's why I'm so focused on moving the church back to the core of the movement because when the black church is at the core of the movement it's a wrap it's it's a wrap look okay (laughs) absolutely and yes like when you know you are a walking testimony of just how incredible god has shown up in your life to do the impossible when all this all, all of the stakes are stacked against you like you you can't deny it. You yes. literally cannot deny it. Um, yes, let's switch gears and talk about Black church in, yeah. in the public and political life. Um, obviously, we're um, in the midst of a major midterm election season. And so um, a lot of conversation about voting in particular and the stakes of this election season. And um, would love to hear more of your thoughts about what is necessary in this in this particular election season, and also more broadly, what is necessary in this particular movement from the Black church? Yeah. The Black, ch- the black church, hands down, is still the most powerful institution of Black folks. Period. It is. It still is. But what has happened is, they've kind of, in, in now, these are just in my through my lenses, so I don't want to, <laughs> through my lenses, what I've seen is the Black church has kind of moved to the side a little bit and mm-hmm. not at the core of the movement like it once was. Yeah. 
And that's critical to our community because our community still trusts the church. There's a lot of church hurt in the community, but the community still trusts our faith leaders. Mm -hmm. it, it will always be like that. Mm -hmm. the, it, what I've seen is the church is still doing very powerful work, but it's a lot of direct service agency work, which is needed. Mm -hmm. It's needed. But what's hurting us is that when you talk about some of the older pastors, and I'll continue to talk about Martin, they understood to sustain liberation or have any chance at a breakthrough in liberation, you have to actually leverage your relationships in the political arena. Mm -hmm. Because direct service agency, as powerful as it is, it's not sustainable. It's only temporary. Right. It's not long-term. And at some point, we have to start asking ourselves the same questions. Why do they keep returning for clothes and food? Why does our community, outside of any other community, needs these things all the time? We need to actually go find out why we're not getting the resources every a lot of other communities get. Mm -hmm. And so the Black church is not right now prioritizing that. Mm -hmm. And now whatever reasons it is, I mean, that's, that's a string of a lot of conversations. But being on the grounds, organizing people, I can tell you, we need the church. We need the yes. Black church to be focused more on building political power for our community, independent political power. So that means whatever party wants to publicly profess our agenda, that's what we'll actually talk to, but okay. it needs for us. And the Black church still has the potential, still has the potential and the capability to make that happen quicker than any other institution for our folks. So even with BDCC, and I've had so much frustration in organizing the Black church here in the state, it is still a primary self-interest of mine, a core self-interest of mine to do. Because again, I understand two or 300 Black folks every week going, and this church is everywhere, and everybody got people still going there because it's, we, yes. we need church. Yes. The thing is, how do we take those relationships and how do we start politicizing our brother's pains and our sister's pain and frustration to say that you need to go public about what's happening to you and we need to do it together with our faith leaders in front of that. That's yeah. what we need to do to really have this cohesion in our community. Mm -hmm. yeah. there's, there's so much there and um, I agree with you wholeheartedly that we need the Black church institution especially here in minnesota especially here in minnesota we need the black church we need a shift there needs to be a shift i believe there's a shift happening in the atmosphere i feel that prophetically yeah. um a shift that is shifting leadership just a shift in the culture shift in the times there's a shift happening um but we have to link into that shift and uh I also think that God has called us back into it. Like he's, right. he is calling us back into it um, through a multitude of ways. And That's so, right. um, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. More than any other institution in our community, we are, churches still the most organized institutions <laughs> that, we, that we have in the Black community with the most expansive set of resources and, and services and programs right. um, and, and, and bases and, and bases. And how do we start to rebuild that in, in certain pockets and areas in our community, I think is yeah. absolutely key, absolutely key.
Um, yeah. And we can definitely connect offline about that kind of work. Yes, yes, so yeah, much. Still, I, I just want to reemphasize that the Black church is still doing very amazing work in Minnesota. Yes. Like, uh, I forgot the name of the movement, but there was a few of the Black pastors who was leading a movement trying to uh, minimize the, the gun violence and, oh, and ultimately yep. dismantling that. Piece. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Those young it's folks working. They weren't picking up those. They weren't picking those guns up when those passes was out. So it, it's it's obvious where the power is. Mm-hmm. It's obvious. The thing that we got to get the church to understand is that sacrifices need to be made, just like you're asking of us. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is, you might want my pastor would get up and talk about why we need to be involved, and there were congregation members who was not with it, who literally mm-hmm. left our church, but he was clear. And mm-hmm. I think if that becomes a standard for us to get more involved and they're actually receiving that from people who they trust, because mm-hmm. these are the trusted messages in our community, along with small business owners too, but the pastors are trusted messengers. They're authentic, trusted messengers. If they start standing in front of the pulpit and saying, we have to be more involved, and there's no negotiation about that, and mm-hmm. actually speaking some Black theology, like some some black theology around that. So mm-hmm. people to understand that the it's, it's not just about praying and I love praying. I'm a praying man, but I also understand that faith in action mm-hmm. is how you get things done. And that's how, that's where your blessings come from. If, if the past mm-hmm. just be clear about that mm-hmm. and then come out publicly with us, come off the porch with us, you will see a different mm-hmm. community in this state. And ultimately you'll see a mm-hmm. different community in this country. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. We are definitely touching and agreeing there. And we'll continue to do this work. I know that there's, I'm start. I, I personally feel like I'm starting to see uh, whether it's a new generation coming into leadership in certain churches, um, both whether they grew up here or from other parts of the country and took assignments um, here in Minnesota. I'm starting to feel like there's there's a shift happening slowly yeah. but surely, yeah. um, and just continuing to lean into that. Um, and like you said, like I also think it's really important. Um, for for us to continue to build more inroads between the faith leaders and the experienced organizers by trade to know that hey you have um, you have the infrastructure here in us you have the expertise here in us um, for us to help navigate like these terrains and that we don't have to be so siloed um, or separate um, to be able to bolster how to be able to do this strategically and effectively. Um, so much, like you said, you were talking about Reverend Dr. King, um, as much as he was um, a pastor and a prolific preacher, he also did the work to become um, a trained and skilled organizer. And I think, how can we continue to, to, to build those inroads as well, to be able to bolster up, not just faith leaders, but like you said, you came into church as just a regular Joe Schmo. And now you are a trained and skilled organizer. And so just continuing to also see the ways that from discipleship, um, we can also continue to bring people into the fold of being able to carry on that work as organizers as well. Yes, we need it. Yes, that merger, we need it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, this is just making my heart go. Pure yes. fire. Yes. <laughs> yes, right. So um, 
switching gears and talking more about this midterm election season. So obviously um, within the state of Minnesota and, and working at Isaiah and Faith in Minnesota, you all have a huge investment in this election season, particularly obviously it's midterms nationwide and there's a lot of stakes at play at the, um, at the federal level, um, but particularly in the state of Minnesota, um, this is a very unique election cycle that we don't see that often where we have all of our state officers elect executive and legislative up um, for re-election in addition to you know county and local seats um, but there's a lot of stake at the state level yeah. and so can you share a little bit more about the work that your organization is doing um, this election season and also specifically the work you and maybe your colleagues are doing to specifically engage black voters Yes. So overall, Isaiah Faith in Minnesota is running voter engagement programs. So and they're relational. So we don't just do transactional organizing. We talk to folks yeah. and we are pulling out all forces like we ain't mm -hmm. holding nothing back. We going for it because we understand how critically important it is because of the nature of these seats. So you're talking about the attorney general office where we have a true champion of democracy in that seat. And you can better believe the Chauvin trial doesn't go the way it goes if, if Brother Keith is not stepping in and yes. saying, wait a minute, we need to do this the right way. That's, that's, that's the kind of, that's how you utilize the seat to deliver equity to communities who are disenfranchised and marginalized. That's mm -hmm. how you actually use your seat. So it is in dire, like we are, we are, totally committed and convinced that in order for us to have a Minnesota that is striving where everybody mm -hmm. is on ramp and invited to live prosperous and productive lives, we have to have certain folks in play. Mm -hmm. And that attorney general seat is one of them. Another one that is hugely important. Hennepin County, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe it's like the second biggest government in the state of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Right now, the Hennepin mean. County attorney seat yes. is so, so critical. When you're talking about mass incarceration and the targeting and the, uh, and, and locking up Black folks at disproportionate numbers. And right now, there's a lot of candidates. I don't want to get into like, I'm, I'm not campaigning for anybody. I'm, I'm just putting that out there. Uh, but I have to be honest and clear that Mary Mariotta, she is a champion. And there were times where we would, you know, she would actually let us know about systems and who was being targeted when she was a public defender and she was risking her livelihood to point out systemic targeting of our community. Can you imagine somebody with that kind of clarity, with that kind of willingness, being in the Hennepin County attorney seat? That means her imagination about alternative programming. She's quick to do that and slow to have punitive outcomes for everything. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we need. Our youth need investing not more locking them up, locking them up, throwing away the key. It's not working. It doesn't work. So when you have somebody who's grounded like that, running the second biggest government, right? Not, not all of Hennepin County, but the most critical part of Hennepin County. And that's the filtering station about who goes to jail and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. We need somebody like that in office. You talk about, uh, you know, Congressional District 5. Like we need that office to stay put. We I guess what I'm saying, you're talking, I'm Steve Simon, Secretary of State, all these important seats that are up for election, we have now said, nope, 
we got to go talk to everybody, not about pushing people's names, but do you understand the roles that these folks play? Yes. Do you understand the power and the flexibility in what an attorney general can do? Did you see that play out in the last two years? Do you understand the Hennepin County attorney position, right? We had Mike Freeman in that place for a long time. We can see how we can be used to divide and fearmonger, but we can also see how it can be used. Well, we imagine that if the, if the right person get in that seat, the kind of programs and investment our kids can have through that actual seat. So it's very obvious. And then I won't even mention the governor, like we don't want a red state. And I only say that because the people who are sitting with, in the red, in my opinion, it's all division and fear. We would never get to a place in this country where we can live amongst each other it's, if we scared of each other all the time. And everything that we, all the misinformation and the social media, everything points to they're criminals, stay away from them, clutch your pearls in your purse. How do we actually do what God desires us to do? And that's sit down, have conversations, and then start finding out we all human, which is God's desire. He warrants us to sit down and connect with each other and start finding commonality instead of focusing on differences all the time. So no way do I want to be aligned with the red because that is their motto. That's what they running their campaigns off of. All I'm saying it is critical right now in the state of Minnesota and what BBCC is specifically doing. So our entire vehicle statewide are on the voter engagement programs. We're talking to folks with phone banking, we're door knocking, we're canvassing, we're doing social media, digital ads, communications, and we got the best communicator uh, on our Okay, shout out to Mr. Janae Bates. No disrespect to nobody else, right? <laughs> there's a lot of great, powerful communicators, but we have the best. And so how are we actually <laughs> leveraging and using all of these resources for people to understand, not only do you go vote, but make an informed vote. Yes. Make your vote an informed decision. All right, so BBCC is focused on Ward 4 and Ward 5 in Minneapolis because we understand, yes, that voter turnout has been, it's just, it's just been just historically low and, it, and, and it's been consistently low. And I'm just at the point in my own organizing where I am just sick and tired of investing in these areas, but not doing it in a way where I'm super clear about the power that I want to build in my own self-interest almost feeling like I failed the community. Now, some of that is about my own stuff that I still need to wrestle with and figure out because I shouldn't be holding myself totally responsible for the low turnout in four and five, but I do hold it close to my chest because it has real stakes for my life, my family's life, and the people who I love in those communities. So we are going, I'm going to start block club organizing. We need to start organizing on a very hyper-local level. In other words, forget about the rest of the war right now. What's going on on your block? And what are the issues that matter to you? And let's see if we can align that with your neighbors. Then when we get a solid team of people, let's go over here and talk to them on a block. If Black folks start understanding that we're doing this as a team and we're doing it collectively, but not doing it so broad, because you got to understand people who've never been invited to public life, well, this is what I've been thinking about. People who have not been invited normally to consistently to public life, when you invite them to public life, there's, a, there's layers of guilt 
and shame that has to be burned off and you don't want to throw them in the grease. And I think like big ward meetings we have, huh, you go play a role, go address everybody. They're not ready for that yet. A more intimate level of organizing around things like housing, making sure we got rent stabilization for Minneapolis, making sure we got a healthy and thriving consent decree that speaks to all the communities, not just one, making sure that when it comes to climate, that Black folks start being a little bit conscious about their climate. It was, it's not theoretical. It's not far away from us. It actually affects our day-to-day -day living all the way down to the kind of windows you have in your house that you deserve when it comes to climate. Like it trickles down to everyday living. Maybe mm -hmm. they want a new stop sign. Maybe there's a speed bump they want on a, in a, on a block. I don't mm -hmm. know yet. We're about to start organizing. Mm -hmm. And what I think will crystallize and energize folks is if they actually start having a feeling, some kind of win that mm -hmm. they get on their block because they did it with each other. And that would actually give them the confidence now to go and invite other people in. So we're going to start doing block club organizing. And I got that from Chicago. You know, we used to I was, I was like, what are we going right. back to the show on that That's one? right. That's I right. It. And it has everything to do with public safety. My mom yes. lives on 76 in Peoria. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they got a block club. And on 76 in Peoria, it goes down. But guess what? On their block, not so much. Mm -hmm. Because my mama and the rest of the folks on that block, they've organized with each other. Mm -hmm. And so they make sure they look out on the block to make sure that block stays productive. Right. And now with a bunch of folks just kind of hanging out. And they engage the block. So they know, the, they know the kids on the block. They know the families on the block. So that's what we want to do. Uh, along with just our regular voter engagement program, we want to get people registered. We're not just knocking on the doors that the van gives us. We go into every door and every every door on every house of that block. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of organizing we will be doing yes. going into 2023. Yeah. Yes. I'm just like, this is so masterful. And I think one of the things that we've continued to talk about among other organizing networks here, um, especially uh, former Knox staffers. I mean, Northside, we had it on lock, yeah, right? Yeah. And, but that was because, like you said, Black leaders and organizers making a commitment to intense, ongoing, year-round relational organizing in this community and how that has yet to be fully replicated since that era. And so it just warms my heart to hear that that is a, going to be a key focus in BDCC. And I'm letting you know now, like when those, when it's time to, to do those opportunities to share that, we want to share that here at the Revival. Also, I'm a War 5 resident, so let's talk about- Oh, let's talk. Know, yeah, we talk together. Let's yes. talk about it. Yes. <laughs> let's I'm talk with about that. it. I'm all cheap. Yes. yes. Um, yes. Because like you say, it starts with us. It starts with our neighbors. It starts with being a neighbor, being a true neighbor in every sense of the word, um, and then building out from there in relationships, in relationships, and just how, like you say, it's, that can be a benefit to- voting in elections but it's more so a benefit to our communal life yes. right and yes our political and civic life but also just being in community with one another yes. it starts okay. there yes it starts there that's the thing we we have a lot of brilliant work going on but it's so dissected that's why we're not getting what we want because mm -hmm. the core ingredient is missing and that's community Mm -hmm. And we operate the best when we operate together. Yes. Well, there's 
where, where power is not for one person, but it's distributed amongst all of us. Mm-hmm. That's where the power comes at. So I'm going to attempt, and I'm look, I'm using your platform to let folks know too. We don't organize in scarcity. We organize in abundance. Anybody yes. who wants to come over and say, hey, B, I'll take this block, have that block. Mm-hmm. And we get another brilliant organizer who's not even from our power organization. Take that block. Mm-hmm. Let's organize in abundance and let's show our folks, focused on our young folks, that we can actually have unification, that we model to our young people that your uncles and aunties and mamas and daddies, we love each other, we together. Mm-hmm. And that actually starts to actually work and make a play on public safety as we see community mm-hmm. violence in the uprise. Mm-hmm. Those kids need to see that we're intentional about solidifying with one another, that we're intentional about extending the olive branch to one another and saying enough is enough. It actually starts with us. The kids don't know how to do that without the direction of us. So this mm-hmm. block club organizing is going to be very intimate. I'm thinking about, you know, backyard barbecues at one of the houses with the neighbors and maybe have a city council member come out and say a few words and talk about what the agenda, what the plans is for them. Like, Start normalizing civic engagement. Start normalizing public life. And then people, and hopefully if people get confident about that, they'll surely be inviting everybody in their houses, their cousins and aunties and uncles to come in and do the same thing. And maybe we start building out a youth program, uh, you know, yes. in, in from the black level. So sky is the limit, uh, yes. but we go get on it. We go start. Yes, yes. That's the kind of work we need. Yeah. And so much of what I'm gleaning from the Lord in this season is um, he might give you a bold and big vision, but all you gotta do is just one step, one step. You put one step down and then he'll meet you with the provision for the next step and the next step. And so, and and that's what's so beautiful about organizing, right? Um, Just by initiating a conversation or opening a space or creating a table, so much can be birthed out of that. And I think that is exactly what can happen with this kind of model. Just what can be birthed by just the gathering. Yes. Brilliant minds in those neighborhoods. Brilliant minds. I say to my organizers all the time, don't tell people what the agenda is. Invite your leaders to co-own it with you. Create the Mm -hmm. agenda with them. Mm -hmm. You'll be surprised how many brilliant ideas our folks have if you just ask them. Just ask them. I get most of my information and direction and organizing from the base, from my people. They the ones who inform me and they'll humble you, right? You know, our folks will humble you too. Yes. So it's, so utilizing the power of the community has always been the only option for me. Always. Yeah. That's it. That's it. So when that program rolls out, we'll, we'll, we will make sure to share it. And we want to encourage listeners to take it to your churches, take it to your pastors, yes. take yes. it to ministry leaders, um, put it in the church bulletin, yes. invite Brian to, to do a session or to make an announcement at your church. It really is as simple. It's just the invitation yes. and how that can spark something new um, to be birthed within your congregation or just even amongst members who may be interested you would be amazed by just what the invitation can be birthed. So thank you again for talking about what Isaiah and Faith in Minnesota is going to do, as well as the the barbershops and Black congregation cooperatives to really activate 
um, and build relationships with voters in this super critical midterm election season through the lens of our faith. Yes. Um, so it's so that's just so powerful yes. um so we are going to we're transitioning now we're about to wrap up soon but um i wanted to give you an opportunity to share more about how can people find you and connect with your work especially sure. um given the important work that we're going to be doing for the rest of this election season and ongoing yes so you can you can uh you can go to first website isaiah faith in democracy, uh, uh, Isaiah.com, I believe it is. Um, <laughs> I, I don't ever, I don't ever go to my websites. Uh, so, and then there's a faith we'll in the show notes. <laughs> faith in Minnesota. Oh my goodness, there's a faith in Minnesota website uh, as well. But I normally post and pay attention to the inboxes that come from the Barbershop and Black Congregation Facebook page. I'm old school. I'm still on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter as much. So if you really, really want to have a conversation with me or you want to get my contact information, please go to Facebook, BBCC, that's the Barbershop and Black Congregation uh, Cooperative page. Or you can go to Brian Fullman, B-R-I-A-N-F-U-L-L-M-A-N. There's going to be two Brian Fullmans that shows up. There's a young dude, but he's a lot more in shape than me that looks like me. That's my son. Uh, you gotta, you pick out the older fat dude with the suit on. That's oh. me. Uh, so go to there, inbox me. Let me know, you know, if you just want to have a conversation, let's do it. I'm down to just sit and have a one-to-one -one to talk more about the work. Uh, or can I get my email on here too? Absolutely. Okay, so my email is B. As in Brian, it's B F U L L M A N at Isaiah M N dot org. Again, that's B Fullman, B F U L L M A N at Isaiah M N dot org. And so those are the three places Facebook, Barbershop page, Brian Fullman's page, and then my email. All right, perfect. We will make sure all of that is shared correctly in the show notes so nobody misses anything <laughs> sorry about that i don't never go no, to the website you're okay <laughs> uh especially with websites you know sometimes you gotta put extra things at the end so you i'm always your out own yeah i'm thing. always yeah yeah it's all good um so as we wrap up what is one takeaway that you really want our listeners to leave with today we are community you all Everything we've been through, chattel slavery, the most horrific and insane conditions we have been able to walk through because we had two things. We had God in the center of our lives and we had each other. Mm. And it's really all that we needed. And there was nothing that man can create to stagnate the progress of our path. We need to get back to that. I know we say political power a lot, but it's really about community power. Mm -hmm. How do we stop othering each other? How do we actually understand that our power comes from the collective? Mm -hmm. How do we create a mandate and a, a mandate and a drumbeat from us, not just I? So if there's anything I want to leave for us is we got to move quickly on loving each other and move very, very slowly or confronting each other. Mm. And let's have real conversations with each other. The mm. power is with us. When you see me out, 
give me a handshake or give me an elbow bump. I know we got some things going on out here that limits how we engage each other, but it's really important that we start getting back to the essence of community and who we really are. Mm-hmm. And that I would just leave it there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, yeah. Brian, for thank your you time. For yeah, thank you. Uh, I feel yeah. so refreshed after this conversation. I'm ready <laughs> to go. I'm ready to get this work in. There's just so much, so much good work to be done. And yes. it's yes. energizing to know that God is equipping a multitude a multitude to do the work um it just it, it definitely does fill your spirit so i just thank you it. oh i appreciate that but we definitely can't do it without this platform yes. these kind of platforms that intentionally amplify the work like when you and I'm, let me just say this like when it comes to funding how do we fund this work it is people like you who amplify the greatness of grassroots organizing and relationship building which starts to inform funders that yes, celebrity activism is cool. I ain't got nothing, I ain't not against it. But if you're really trying to invest money and change mm-hmm. and power, you have to celebrate and reward the people who are on the grounds talking to folks every day. These kind of platforms yes. help us move that agenda. So thank you. Thank you thank for you. what you do and giving us the platform to talk about our work. Really thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. I just like the confirmation is just all over yes. me right now. Thank you so much. And yes, like the the key here, like the focus here at the revival is to lift up those voices, especially, you know, one of the things I really meditated on heavily in in the aftermath of the racial reckoning we experienced throughout the world that was um, instigated in our state is um, how can we make sure that the voices at the center right. get more attention? Right. You know, the voices on the ground, the voices in the midst of the work, and not the few select, but the multitude. That's um, right. And so part of that work is, is to create our own platforms and to do right. our own storytelling and to give um, our own leaders an opportunity to tell the truth. Um, and so I thank you so much for that. was going to be a banger. (laughs) Thank you so much, Brian, for all that you are and all that you offered on our platform. And he's right. We need more platforms like this. We need to continue to amplify the work in our communities at the intersection of faith and justice. So thank you so much, Brian, for your time. And thank you all for listening to this episode of The Revival. If you want to support more content like this, please do me a favor. Please look us up on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google, and subscribe. Please subscribe. Please join the family so that you can make sure that you hear the episodes when they drop each and every week. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Revival MN and on Facebook as well. And you can also look up this podcast through your streaming platforms with The Revival MN or The Revival Podcast as well. 
I just wanted to send you off with peace, blessings, and just full of love and joy in this season. It's getting intense in the midst of election season, but we know that our God is going to keep us through each and every circumstance that comes our way. So I just want to send you off in love, 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 love. Thank you all. And we will see you next week for another episode of The Revival.